Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, for inwardly they are ravening wolves. The Night of the Hunter. Preacher was not a bad sort. Preacher was a man of the Lord of heart. You see his hands? Look at the fingers, the tattooed fingers. The fingers of the left hand spell H-A-T-E-H. And those of the right hand spell L-O-V-E. Love? No. Preacher is a man of holiness. Sometimes I wonder if you really understand. Not that you mind the killings. Your book is full of killings. But there are things you do hate, Lord. Perfume-smelling things, lacy things, things with curly hair. But wait, let me tell you a secret. Wandering through the river towns for decades, this false and evil prophet has murdered and robbed a score of women. Foolish, lonely widows who saw in him a man of God and a refuge from loneliness. Of course, it was really all right. Preacher used the money to spread the Lord's gospel. The Lord didn't mind. Can I have my supper, please? Naturally. Mm-hmm. First, we'll have a little talk about our secrets. No. And why not, pray tell? Because John said I must. Never mind what John said. John's a meddler. Now stop that sniveling. Look at here. You know what that is? Want to see something cute? Now looky. How about that? This is what I use on meddlers. John might be a meddler. No, no. No, little lamb, don't touch it. Now don't touch my knife. That makes me mad. Makes me very, very mad. And you tell me, where's the money hidden? But that's why I promised John I wouldn't tell. John doesn't matter! Can I get that through your head, you poor, silly, disgusting little wretch? The Night of the Hunter. This is a Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. This is a Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. We're talking about a, another classic. Another classic. Another classic. Because for us, they're all classics, and that's why we wouldn't be doing them if they weren't. If classics. they weren't, this is a pretty big one too for us. Everyone's they're always big. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Night. It's like Night. we're crying wolf every episode. <laughs> but but are, let's, you know <laughs> but what? Are, but are we really? No, maybe we're setting it up that we're like we're, we're we're crying wolf. That is the argument. It's like a term paper. If that's the thesis. As that we're saying, this is another classic, and then through the term paper of the cast, yeah. we we explain with examples that turns out to be yeah we prove it, <laughs> and 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 as we've cited in, in uh, articles A B C and subparagraph four or five, you know, we we support our thing with evidence and data, and, and we try to convince the reader or in this context the listener to. Uh, Thinking, yeah, it must be a classic. If we haven't seen it, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I wasn't convinced at first. Yeah, I knew it, <laughs> but you've convinced times, me. But now, now I, I completely understand why because of what facts were brought to light. Uh, welcome to another edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Um, I am Dion Baia, joined here with Jay Blake. Happy to be here. Um, late, 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 late. Yeah, this was a late Sunday one. morning. Yeah, we went a little crazy and we made a mess. Uh, of, it's funny. We ate too much pizza. Too much pizza. Too much uh, candy. Blake, we went downstairs into his basement. We broke out the general flag. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we got, we it. got the you know, and you know the what it is? You know, it's really funny. The, 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 uh, does this ever happen to you when you were little? Where, you know, especially if you went over somebody's house or you yourself had uh, a bunch of, say, G.I. Joes or a bunch of Transformers. You spend four hours setting everything up. Yeah. I remember days where, like, I would, um, my parents would give me carte blanche to, like, say, take their LPs out or their books, and I'd, say, make, like, a little city for them to play in. I would, that would take the whole night, and then well, when I'm done, it, you know. but it's, like, four, five o'clock then, and, and then <laughs> your dad or your mom walks in, like, dinner's going to be ready in a half hour, clean all this up, and you're like, I haven't eaten, oh. 
you know, because then you have to try to convince them, can I keep this mess here till tomorrow, you know? So I would sometimes exhaust myself in just setting it up, you know? Especially if it's outside, you set it all up and it starts getting blew out. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, so what happened was we, we, we set the flag up. We had a couple of hydrofoils and um, uh, the, the, the other bases, the water bases, and then we tried to sink the flag. Technodrome up on the couch. Yeah, Technodrome was up on the couch. <laughs> uh, we had the, uh, the, the spaceship, you know, by the G.I. Joe um, three-parter thing there with the two garages and the big gun in the front. So it was good. Yeah, they tried good to sink times. the flag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beachhead was killed. Shipwreck. Oh, Jesus. Shipwreck played by Tom Savini in our movie. Remember... <laughs> Uh, we're going, no. We've talked about we, we don't have a we don't have, we have time. enough time for that. Yeah, if yeah, you want to talk, if you yeah. want to hear about GI Joe, uh, check out our GI Joe the movie cast. Yeah, we did it. We did a cast uh, earlier in the year on the 1987 GI Joe the movie, the animated movie, the feature length film. Uh, I was alluding to that him and I, uh, Blake, years ago at like three in the morning in a diner while we were drinking. You were probably drinking coffee. I wasn't. I was trying drinking coke and chain smoking. Uh, we cast our version of a live-action G.I. Joe movie, which was prior to the Rise of Cobra film that came out. Was that the first G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra? Maybe I think was that's that? what it's called. Yeah, yeah we cast it, like, maybe this is, like, ten years before, or at least, you know, it was it was before people it was even conceived they would do a Transformers yeah. live-action movie. Yeah, yeah. We were like, why aren't they using this material? We can have it. And we went through, like, we had, like, two dozen people. I remember we had Tom Savini as Shipwreck, but I can't remember who else we had. And it was great, because he was going to break out the pants he wore in Dawn of the Dead. Remember those those really tight pants with the bell bottoms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was going to grow that stash back in such a way, you know, and, and he would be... Anyway. Shout out so, to Savini. Yeah, That's shout out to... Tie. There you go. That's a good tie-in. I didn't even realize. Here's the segue. So we're doing, <laughs> this week, a classic 1980... 1980. 1980 Will Lusting. Lustig. Lustig. I always say that wrong. You, I say Will Lusting, you a Lustig. Uh, Bill Lustig's um, Maniac. Maniac. Uh, written by Joe Spinell and Lusted? Or yeah, just... I believe so. Yeah, I think they co-wrote it. Mania. This was like going to be Spinell. This is going to be like Spinell's Rocky. Yeah, and it, it. I have to say it is to a certain extent. I think he thought it was going to be his... Did he, did he think it was going to be his rise to fame? I don't know if they were expecting it to be like... Like a huge. Halloween or a, you know, the, or a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, it's tough to th- know. It's tough to... I'm just, because I, I wonder what they did think. Because well, here you go, 1980. Let's put it in perspective. Uh, Joe Spinell had been in a crap load of crap load of he was awesome in, movies. He, he was. I in, mean, Joe Spinell's had like if you like his resume is like among probably the greatest film resumes of yeah, all time um, of the 70s. You know, he's he's in The Godfather's one and two. Right? Yeah, he's in Taxi Driver. He's in Taxi he's Driver. In Rocky. He's in Rocky. He's in Nighthawks while he's doing this film with Stallone. Uh, he goes on to do... Uh, he was in Sorcerer at the time because he's, he's thinner in Sorcerer. Um, what else is he? He's everywhere at this time. He just shows up in their little bit parts, which is... Uh, there's a story with, like, Godfather, if I'm not mistaken. We're doing this cast. It's so early in the morning. <laughs> we stayed up. You hear that? The, the birds, the are, birds out. are out. The windows open. The planes are going. If you can hear the ambient plane flying over because we're close to the It was like the Lombardia. story with Spinell was that uh, he was like on Godfather and he got paid like more than anybody else on the film yeah. except for maybe Brando, uh, Brando or, and Pacino or, or because. Uh, Everyone loved him so everybody much. Everybody loved him so much that they would want him to come to set. So he did because so he was shot would hang on out on set every day because they were shooting in New York. Even when he wasn't sh- when he wasn't in the film, he, he was on set every day. And uh, when you're on so set, the union, yeah, the SAG set, person, the, sign in and out. <laughs> the SAG person who would see him on set would list him as being Present. there. For working that day, so he got paid every day that he was there, even though he wasn't working. Yeah, he got paid either scale or union, whatever the whatever the rate was. So he got paid for all the days when he was just chilling there. And he, like we talk about, he shows up everywhere. I mean, there is that weird video, which is uh, the Spinell documentary that they did is on what it's on it's, one of the maniac. It's releases. it's disc two of one of the maniac. Releases. I think maybe the first or second Blue Underground release of it. Um, and it's about an hour long because Bill Lustig owns Blue Underground, so that's always a staple of whatever business he's he's working on. Is is uh, what to, to have maniac uh, maniac have, yeah. a, have like a deluxe maniac edition? And uh, it's a great documentary, and, and they explore so much in it. And, you, and the footage in there of him like 
hanging out with Spielberg. Yeah, as they're awaiting like the Academy Award nominations. Spielberg thought Jaws might win something. Yeah, so maybe like special get, effects get or, or like Robert Shaw maybe get like a Best Supporting Actor nod. And uh, Savini's there. Not Savini, Spinell. I'm sorry. <laughs> All these Italian names. <laughs> uh, Spinell is there in a, jo- a white Jaws shirt that looks like it was just freshly printed. It looks slightly tight for him, if I remember correctly. And he's there with somebody else. And I forget who the other person is. Yeah, yeah. And they're hanging out. And it's really cheap, uh, middle to late 70s uh, video uh, recorder of like a news program or whatever. And the news comes across that young Spielberg there, who looks really modest, and he's hiding his face under his baseball cap, didn't get... The uh, directors. The, it was something like the movie got. I have to look. The what, movie, whatever it got nominated. Like or it, maybe it got nominated for best picture, but he didn't get best director. Yeah, so or they, something. And Spinell's like, how, "Who's going to direct the picture? Like, how, how could you have a best picture without a best director?" Yeah, he really goes off. Spinell's upset. It's almost like a shtick, but it's yeah. funny. So he's hanging out with 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 Spielberg. Uh, he, of course, we we said he was in The Godfather, so he knows that whole crew and, and Coppola. Uh, he's good friends with Stallone. Yeah. And they were really good friends, and they ended up having a... Some uh, kind of falling out, which yeah. I don't really know anything about. I found out because of... Um, let me, no, I, I I talked to Randy Jurgensen. Randy Jurgensen, who's an ex-cop, who we've talked about in cast before, and I do a great um, special interviews on his life as an actor and as an NY uh, New York police detective uh, on podwits.com. I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say you do a great... Randy Jorgensen impression. No, so I, was gonna do I do a great no, Randy Jorgensen impression. But he shows up in a lot of these movies because into the into the 70s and into the 80s, he, he helps get off the ground. He helped Lustig do, Lustig do Maniac. He helped do Maniac Cop. He got Chud off the ground and all. Superman 3. He's in Sorcerer. He's in Sorcerer. He's the guy that sends Roy Scheider down to um, to where he's, where Nicaragua or wherever they are. Uh, he's in uh, Cruising. He's Pacino's partner because yeah. Cruising is... Uh, he's friends with William Freakin. And uh, he met William Freakin because he worked on the case that The French Connection was based off of. So he helped Freakin do the movie. He got a lot of stuff done, which now is illegal. But they lot, did a lot of stuff that they pulled corners and stuff. Uh, and then the next movie he works on is The Godfather because he's one of the guys at the toll booth that kills Sonny. Okay. So he took time off, did that, and helped them get the locations. And maybe that's where he met Spinell. Maybe. So he was he became good friends with Spinell, but he tells me a story about there's a the falling out on um, Nighthawks, where they uh, I forget who was supposed to direct it and, the, and the, he was they, they they told Stallone <coughs> that he should really shave his mustache. I think uh, Jurgensen was supposed to be on the movie. He was supposed to play the uh, Spinell character, the captain, and he went as a, he was a consultant. And he said like you know if he's if he's undercover dresses a girl. He should probably shave his mustache. Yeah, have a beard. <laughs> yeah, have a beard. So someone went over to him and said, "No, you know," I'm, and he said, "No, I'm going to have it." And the next day, like you know, they, they said, "We don't need you anymore." And they kind of expanded Spinell's role in it. But you're right. I don't know what the falling out, which I think is explained in that documentary. I don't even know if they go into it. But they had a falling out around uh, uh, Nighthawks, and uh, sadly, it was up until he died. Post post Maniac, because they took Maniac. To, to con. con, yeah, and they shot that footage. Isn't that, is that the footage they shot for like a that other crazy? And I don't even know. I don't even know if it was in the festival. Like I don't know if it was in the con festival or they rented like a theater. Well, you could do that a lot, where you and can pay to have your thing screen while like, you're there, while, yeah. while the festival is going on. And, and so that there's can generate pictures attention because people are there. Of Stallone walking around the Cannes Film Festival with a maniac T-shirt. Well, we'll, on. we'll include one of the pictures. We'll track it down and put it in this cast, but. Uh, so they had so bigger point is Spinell's great. He's he knows a crap load of people and he's in everything. And uh, we come up to Maniac and he had him and Stallone were rising actors at the time. You know, uh, Stallone. I remember. I guess Spinell lived with his mother until he passed away in Queens, and he was traveling down every day to uh, Philly to do Rocky. And his mother's like, "Why are you doing this movie?" He's like, "Because I believe in you know my friend Sly, and we're gonna make it together." And that's how he's in Rocky. So and then Rocky takes off, and Stallone's career takes off. He's great, in Rocky. Yeah, and you know, but he's great in everything. I mean, yeah. he like talking about Nighthawks. He he delivers the best sucker I've ever. That's all. <laughs> Listen here, sucker. You know, he says it, he he's amazing, and he's in Night Shift. Is around the same time, maybe. Oh yeah, he does. He is you in know, Night he, Shift. Night Shift might be the he's, same he's time. He's popped up all over the place. God bless yeah. him. So he yeah. meets this young. Avid film lover in New York, uh, William Lustig, Bill Lustig, 
They become friends. Who's a he's a, he's an adult director at the time. Well, Lusty. I don't know if he directed uh, pornography, but back in the seventies, uh, it was common to, if you were going to start in the film industry that you would eventually work on pornography, especially if you were like in New York. Um, like even Wes Craven worked on porn and stuff before he made uh, uh, Last House on the Left. I mean, it was not an uncommon practice. Yeah, I know. Still, I I work with guys today who are like you know in, in TV environment that they've worked on you know back. That's how you chopped your yeah. bones. It was work, and then at the time, it wasn't regulated, or you, they were doing it like underground, especially in New York. Yeah, so I don't know if he directed any of it, if he just worked on it, but so he somehow he meets Spinell. They become good friends. Spinell feels like he's going to take him kind of under his wing a little bit. They both have a great passion for cinema, and so they start going to Times Square, Grindhouse Cinemas together, and like hanging out. And at they, like midnight, and like it's all like that. It's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, the, the, like back when New you know, York back was when it not, was, uh, you know. You, if you watch Maniac or you watch Taxi Driver, you see... Back when New York was New York. Yeah. And uh, so they go. They start going to see like these horror movies and these grindhouse movies, and they decide that, they're gonna, that they should make one. And so Joe Spinell um, comes up with this idea for like a serial killer, and he does a lot of research even, and creates this character of Frank Zito. Yeah. In homage, um, the Zito is um, the, the, their friend who's the director, wasn't it? Or the I've, there's a there's a relationship they they take the name because they their friend is Zito. Oh yeah, there is a there's you know, a... I think it's Zito. It's not the guy who directed the Chuck Norris movies, but it's 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 somebody who's either the, I think he's a director. Yeah, and that's why he gets the name Zito. You know um, his name in the movie. And so he they he researches like serial killers and and the childhood traumas of them, and they kind of create this uh, character who's kind of a amalgam of a lot of. Um, like Son of Sam, uh, which was which was happening in seventy seven. Yeah. That was right three years before. That I mean, was it huge. was fresh, yeah. you know, in people's minds. And uh, there's a little bit of a Ted Bundy thing going on, and so they decide that they're going to make this movie, um, Maniac. Yeah. Uh, Nineteen eighty, we're post Halloween. Yeah. By John Carpenter, we're right at the. Like the slasher movement is about to hit. Yeah, they're uh, filming or had just filmed Friday the Thirteenth in New Jersey yeah, at the time. Same year, and that's what is Friday the Thirteenth. That's what Savini's working on at the time, and um, Savini uh, Savini's doing a whole bunch of these at the time. He's doing these, um, you know, this this series of like you know horror movies. So he's in this genre pretty well. So he's just going from one project to the other. So they they pick him up to do the special effects, uh, and so they make this movie that's. Uh, on the cheap, I mean, just yeah, they, they I mean, steal a lot yeah. of shots. Um, you know, you have him; he's there. That's what Jurgensen helped do, because Jurgensen still knew the police department. So they went on a night. There's a couple of the scenes at the beginning when Spinell is just walking around growling to himself, looking in the windows at mannequins. They stole all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Like basically, Jurgensen would be there so that if like the cops came to close it to stop it down, he would go and kind of distract them. Yeah, Jurgensen talk, like, hey, talk shop you? with them. Yeah, go go around and the so they get they the can, shot so that they could finish getting the shots and stuff. Yeah, so it's like, and then I think you know, I think they purport like none of that stuff in the. Uh, the subway was that none of that was all legal, you know what I mean? Well, in the sense of like, you know, they didn't have permits; they just went down and shot there. Um, but it's I mean, very lo- it's lo- made on the cheap. Yeah, know, yeah. They, they I, mean, they can. I mean, there's parts about it that are uh, arguably, you know, not just dated in terms of style and stuff, but you know, there's a lot of like the. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that, but I that find that in, that doesn't really work so well in these nowadays. I find it endearing. I mean, when like, I taught this when I taught a horror. Uh, college a course in college of horror films um one of the years i showed this movie and i showed it like i did like two different nights uh of teaching about slasher movies Mm. and one of the nights i showed this and it just bombed really um what was what was your age group i guess what 18 to they were anywhere from like eighteen to adult because yeah. it was a part of a, it was a night it was a night class so there was like some continuing education adult students um, also a lot of regular kind of college age students as well and yeah I, I love you're like in this big like theater you know I mean? not <laughs> well, theater like a college theater like a, like a like a surgical theater like an amphitheater not like a movie theater that was I did that one yes one year 
I was. Um, in this particular cl- case, it was just a regular classroom oh, with a projector. Um, it kind of takes the fun away from me. Yeah, no. It's, being in the big room that you see like in movies because yeah, I, can't, I went and saw course. I think you screened out of living room maybe <clears throat> yeah one and year I, I did that I well I, do, I, I did that every year work. you came one year <laughs> to watch it but so I showed this movie and it just bombed like they just they were like even one of the female students was like why would you show this to us and so it's like okay good question <laughs> um so she was almost like insulted. Like, yeah, like, like they just totally didn't understand what the value of it was. Yeah. And as I, as we talked about it, you know, there is um, some low budget stuff going on. So maybe today's audiences maybe aren't, a young today's audiences maybe aren't as um, willing to embrace that kind of in a way. Because they're not exposed to it. Yeah. And so, and the other thing I realized after I showed clips from maybe Friday the 13th 6 who's the one it's like they're driving around in the, in the six, RV yeah 6 Jason uh, lives yeah. <laughs> I showed a it's scene Alice Cooper as well there's some play. I showed a scene from that uh, I showed scenes from typical more typical slasher fare and what I realized was in watching the class watch those clips they were Willing to go with it in those other movies. They were willing to forgive things like the woman going somewhere she shouldn't go. Or like the the, the stereotypical uh, devices that are now cliche. There was a lot of things in those clips that they were willing to give. So their suspension for disbelief was enforced because of the production value? Um and what I, the conclusion I came to was because by the time you get to, especially Friday the 13th Part 6, you, you could argue that you know, this is like for a longer discussion. And this is like 1986 at this point. Yeah, we start to get into the embracing of the cliches and kind of... Um, but what, the, 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 what, the, what I came to believe is the difference was Maniac takes itself really seriously and that made people uncomfortable or that and they just weren't willing to forgive certain low budget things about it certain cliches about it because it's not fun yeah like maniac is more of a drama yeah yeah. it's like a thriller and a drama more than a a slash movie even though it came out you know on the heels at the same time as friday the 13th as part of that early wave it was probably even advertised as being kind of that but maniac is a really kind of serious drama yeah because by the time you get to part six of jason there's a lot of parody you're almost rooting for jason you know the you know the template and you know his tropes so i guess maybe also it's the content you you're able to enjoy yourself a little better as a um and, and it's kind of unbelievable that that by part six of since we're using this as the example of Jason, he, you know he's a zombie. At the beginning they let you buy him, he walks yeah, up, yeah. so you're able to say, "Oh, this can't happen." But maybe the uncomfortability of like, well, like you know, we're saying Bundy, David Berkowitz, yeah. it's uh, more real. De, De Salvo, yeah, this is um, Maniac is a story of a, a loner, pretty messed up guy. For is it Frank Zito? Frank, I think it's Frank Zito is his name. He lives in New York. Played by Joe Spinell. Played by the great Joe Spinell. And he's a troubled guy. Um, we learn a lot through the movie. Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we learn a lot through the movie um, through suggestion. I mean, we never really see it, but through his memory and his turmoil... We see that he was abused severely by his mother, who I guess was maybe a harlot. Yeah, who was uh, she was turning tricks, and I think he's either in the room or he's in the closet. And yeah, he's witness to this. So sexual sexualization for him was really kind of um, at a very <coughs> at a very young age was uh, kind of uh, neutralized for him. Yeah, and he's got uh, cigarette burns on his body because his that mother was... That's how he's been punishment. Yeah. And uh, which I think you might even hear voiceover of that. Like, you know... Yeah, we do. He does, he does it to a doll. 
he's like you know reliving it yeah yeah to one of his mannequins or a doll so we get a movie that is not about like a faceless or uh masked masked killer or um you know a a monster yeah walking through the woods you know like a like a like an impenetrable you know monster right this is a real guy um at a time looks relatively like you and I he looks like a garbage man how he dresses he's got like a military like bomber jacket on kind of uh you know skin cap or whatever and what he does is he uh finds women sometimes oh, prostitutes often prostitutes he kills them scalps them yeah and then he takes their clothes and their scalps and he dresses mannequins in his apartment to look you know to be them to be so that they don't leave him he's t- yeah he's taking them home he's taking what he the idea of all his... He's making them, like, friends. Like, the, it, it's weird. The apartment he lives in, which is very small, very claustrophobic, is painted red. Nice. I heard that they... they tr- it was, like, an homage to maybe Deep Red, Profundo Rosso, and yeah. those colors of Argento were... It's supposed to be the inside of his mind. You know, and, and he's very disconnected from the idea of that he's not... Um, he doesn't really even realize the implications of what he's doing while he's watching... Because he's watching the news reports that are talking about him, and that's how he... That's his, like outside world connection he's watching television while he eats and that's the thing there's there's a lot of things going on if you put it in the perspective of like you're saying coming off of son of sam son of sam stuff like that there's there's a uh there's a media presence there's news reports there's it's the b-roll is funny it's from what inferno right inferno yeah. it was film it was footage the, the, the news footage. the news footage is just like crappy helicopter footage at like New York at night yeah. and it was because Bill Lustig was working on like the New York unit of Inferno and went and shot this, Inferno. F- shot this like footage of New York and I don't know if it ever even got used but so Lustig had it so he put it in the movie which there's, is great you know there's newspaper headlines um, it's trying to give a sense obviously not as uh, successfully as like the Boston Strangler movie but the sense of like paranoia in the city, um, that this is, uh, you know, the media is covering it. It's People like Son of Sam was for the paranoia of women. I mean, to the point where in the late 70s, that summer of Sam in, in, in 1977, uh, a couple of the women, I think it was, they were blonde. And so women were dyeing their hair and cutting their hair. I mean, there was a paranoia where, you know, if you stay on Lover's Lane, this this guy with a forty four Magnum stub nose can come out and yeah. just kill you and your boyfriend. So people were worried. uh, And he was getting more crazier, too, which is interesting because it is kind of parodies David Berkowitz because when they caught David Berkowitz, he said, "Um, you know, uh, I'm glad you guys caught me because I was going I was on my way to to Long Island with a machine gun to go shoot up a discotheque. So it's like you look at then the 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 path that Frank Zito goes to. He just goes insane at the end. No, they always kind of thought of it as. uh, Yeah. I guess maybe for pitching purposes, maybe try to gain funding. They always kind of pitched it as being like, uh, like a land shark. You know, like he's he's a predator. And so the opening scene of the yeah, movie, complete homage. It's a complete homage. It's uh, and and that it's on a beach. I mean, it's on some kind of New York, maybe Coney Island or some Brooklyn beach. But it's it's done like in the really early morning hours, so you have that really cool kind of blue, you know, uh, sky where the sun isn't quite up yet, but it's on its way. You know, so it's it's really beautifully. And there's exposed. like a man and a woman uh, that are like making out Fooling and stuff, around, and yeah. then you have a voyeur, and he ends up killing them, or yeah. some strangulation brutally. And he's like he's like almost like a uh, uh, he's almost superhuman in that scene where he, yeah. he picks the kid up, doesn't he? Pick the kid up off his feet, he's strangling him, and then he kills her. And it's even the v- POV. I I feel like is there's like a, it's almost they're trying to rip off the opening of Jaws with not the POV from the water, but yeah, it's yeah. his POV. So it's great. It sets up the movie. And then he just starts killing people. He, he picks the hooker up. The next one, he picks the hooker up, and that's a really disturbing scene because he doesn't. Like, it's like he doesn't want to. And what's interesting, I, on my last viewing of it before tonight when we watched it together, uh, I don't know why it only just occurred to me <coughs> that I think I realized that the voices throughout the movie it's it's the two different sides of him. Yeah, yeah. it's him. Uh, that like almost a child, yeah, yeah, trying to cope and deal with the other voice, which is probably the rage, the the yeah, lust, yeah. all the stuff that he can't control, overtaking the other personality. Yeah, you know, and I think I don't know if I'm an idiot. If it's taken me ten plus years to feel 
to figure that out, maybe a lot of times these students, you won't realize it. They won't understand it. Just be inundated. Because if you're not paying attention, you know, yeah. if you're on your phone or whatever the hell, you know, you're going to miss a lot of this. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, I mean, that scene where he kills the hooker, it's a kind of a, it's an interesting scene. We see uh, he strangles her in bed. Um, well, he's, very, actually, he's very, he's very, he's very, like, he doesn't want to touch her. And then he's like, all right, come touch me. And he's trying to, you know, it's almost like it's Well, there's a menace. bit of a seduction, but you know that, you know, there's suspense there because you know that he's not a good dude. But it's the awkward seduction, too. Yeah, like, yeah. She's really giving it her all. Yeah, you know, yeah. you gave me that 20 bucks, you know, we've got an hour. <laughs> I'm going to try, lover boy. And, and at this point... And I believe, as a little cameo, the guy who uh, works at the front desk, yeah, I believe, is, is Bill Lester. Yeah, because he goes to, into a it's hotel. It's a little Hitchcock and, moment. Yeah, he, he pays and he's like... One with a TV or something. You know, they all you know, money for the TV, and he gives extra. But money. when he strangles her, we actually he they actually change out the actress. Uh, and if you don't really realize it the first time, because you know, haven't been, um, they don't look. I mean, they're both dark-haired women, um, so they don't look, you know, drastically different. And at this point in the movie, as a viewer, first-time viewer, you don't really know his story yet. Yeah. Um, but as he's killing this woman, you, in retrospect or second viewing, you realize that he thinks he sees that he's killing his mother. Yeah, and it, yeah, and you and because the, it's intercut with looking up at him, uh, strangling her, and then it's cut to her point of view, looking at or him looking down at her, and that's where you're saying yeah, that they yeah. intercut the actors. And then what you're saying is after the deed is done, kind of like this childish aspect of him, well, he completely falls apart. He, yeah. Does he like run he into cries, the bathroom? He throws up. He yeah. like lays on top of her and kind of cries. And, He's like he's like moaning, and it and it's and it's a point in his career where he's not he's putting on weight, and I don't know if that's intentional or if it's just whatever. So he's because he used to be a real thin guy earlier in the seventies and the Godfathers, and he's starting to put a little weight on, I guess, when you hit Rocky and and uh, Taxi Driver. But then he's thin again for Sorcerer. But so when he's in his like white white shirt, it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's not very it's not seductive at all or or, or hot as you would say. So it's like. <laughs> Well, you wanna, I know that's the wrong word, but it's like it's yeah. very awkward, you know, and it's it's very much like you would think it would go down in a in a hourly rented hotel room with a hooker and a dude, some ugly guy. Not he's ugly, yeah, but, yeah. so then yeah, he completely loses it, and then it's like part two. Okay, now there's the deed that I must do that I'm not looking forward to, but I have to do, and that's where he takes yeah. the razor blade out. He has like a um, like a box cutter one or like an exacto knife, and he, yeah, he just yeah. and he he scalps her. And yeah. that's a real brutal, brutal scene. And hats off to Savini because yeah. that's great. And that, that was, was the whole tie-in to Savini. Yeah, that yeah. Savini is the guy that does the special effects for this movie. Yeah, and he does a great job. I mean, I think for that period, it's cutting it's edge. It's some of his best work. Yeah, in my I think it's cutting edge. The only problem I think the movie suffers from, which is not Savini's fault, as uh, some people can say uh, about Dawn of the Dead with respects of the zombie makeup. Is it's just that 3M blood is too red, but you yeah, can't yeah. fault him because at the time taxi drivers were saying it's also like its that. consistency isn't right. Yeah, you know it's like not translucent enough. Yeah. It's just red. It looks like like paint. It looks yeah, like stage like paint, paint. You know, like yeah, yeah, like paint almost. You know, it looks like you know it's like they use for the stage. Which it might have even even been. I've heard. I don't know if it's urban legends that they to make it unrealistic or something to make it look like it was a movie. That's why uh, I can't see there were no codes were imposed on cinema at the time but the MPA wanted you to use like a faker looking blood well here I mean Maniac you know? for instance is they never got a rating yeah it was so bad uh, oh, Roger Ebert he walked out at the Savini um, when Savini's killed in the movie because yeah. Savini has a cameo he walked out he said, Dis- this is, as like disco boys yeah he, <laughs> how he's built. and then on his next his next uh, broadcast he's like this is deplorable this is the worst kind of this is I guess what we call now torture porn he's like this is horrible this cinema the well, the scene with the Savini. Well, he, he she, so he cuts her head off. He cuts her thing off, takes her clothes, and he goes home. And then that's when we see that he finishes the ritual. Yeah, yeah. He gets a new mannequin. Remember, he brings it in with a paper bag, yeah, a garbage yeah. bag. I don't know where he has. He has a mannequin yeah. connection. Somewhere. Yeah, or, or he's maybe finding them. I would think he's probably even going through the trash. Yeah, you know, in the back of the and he and he dresses it up and he nails it on real crudely. And that's <laughs> it. And then he's like, eh. and then the next thing you see here, he's he's getting ready. And it's it's freaky. It's almost like he's the hitman. I remember that from when I uh, I saw this late '90s. Uh, like, remember that show, Movie Magic? 
Yeah. They might have did a profile like the King of Splatter, and they, they did the thing on Tom Savini. And I think Savini is like, you know, talking about, like, I feel like a hitman when I bring all my, my stuff to set because I'm killing people, getting paid to kill people. And then they, they use the B roll of him with the with the violin case. Yeah. yeah. Putting the double barrel shotgun in. It's like very slick. Head. And you're like, whoa, this is, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And then he goes to it. What, he, he's hanging outside a disco and he meets Disco Boy. Yeah, they follow. And then uh, Savini and. So when he picks character. up this girl, he's real like a dog. He's like, come yeah. on, baby. And, and they, they drive to like, I don't know what bridge. It's I think like it's the Queens. bottom of the Veronzano bridge. They're, they're under the Veronzano. Uh, like, and he's trying to mack on her. Sweeney's trying to mack on her. And then uh, one of the great head explosions of all time. I mean, people always cite, uh, you know, Scanners yeah. as being like the great one. And Scanners is great because it's not like a gunshot wound. It just blows up. <laughs> it, just blow, it just blows up. <laughs> But uh, so Savini got to blow up his own head, and especially if you don't see it coming, yeah. uh, it is quite unsettling because the the suspense in that scene where <laughs> one of my great little like uh, catchphrases or what he says his lines he's like, "You want to do me a favor?" And the girl's like, "What?" He's like, "You want to meet me somewhere?" She's like, "Where?" He's like, "In the back seat." And then like you know, he takes her in the back seat, and it's funny because it's the old like Buicks or whatever the car was, so it's like there's the big two doors. Yeah, they have yeah. to open the door put the seat back to get back and then they shut and they're back there and she sees Spinell and she's like oh my god someone's out there and he's like no one's out there she's like let's just go and then he gets in the front seat and she's hysterical I want to go and turns the car on and then he's like okay we're gonna go and he turns the lights on and then bang Spinell is, is standing there with a double barrel jumps and on the they had the to get it in one take and there was only one head and because it was just full of like shit that was like on the craft service table it was like shrimp and cocktail sauce all kind of and they didn't have uh, a yeah. permit to Getting fire back to a Randy gun. Jurgensen, they had they just actually with live rounds. Savini, like you said, Savini blew up his own head because he said, "Since we only got one shot at this, I want to do it because I'm the special effects guy." And he yeah, dresses yeah. up as Spinel, jumps on the hood, and with a double barrel shotgun, unloads under the Verrazano Bridge at night, either during the week on a weekend, a double barrel shotgun into the uh, to the windshield, and then as quick as they could, they got out of there yeah. before the cops could be called. But it's the '70s, so you can do that, you know. So. The movie itself, um, like I said, I mean, it's more of like a serious drama. Of course, there are some great set pieces, the exploding head. There's the stalking of a nurse in the subways. It's interesting because Lusting at the time with his connections to the porn industry, a lot of the actresses that are in that movie, the nurse, I don't know. I don't remember. It's the second nurse. The nurse comes there in the nurse scene. She comes out with a friend. Well, that that is Shannon Mitchell. Yeah. I know Shannon Mitchell. I, I love Shannon Mitchell. If you're out there, Shannon Mitchell, I love you. Uh, she's a very well-known 70s porn actress. And then she went on to, she. I think it's now defunct now, but she opened up the, the clinic that used to test all the, yeah, the, adult, the, the uh, adult porn stars in the 90s and 2000s. Something, uh, um, yeah, some kind of... Oh, there you go. Yeah, you, you have her written down right there. Um, she went on to do that, and uh, she's great. I've loved her work for years. And the other girl, I think, Abigail something, the blonde who gets killed, I think she's a yeah. porn actress as well. That's a great scene, very like suspenseful. Um, there's this whole B story where he meets a woman, and he's like normal with her. He dresses up. She's a photographer. She's a fashion photographer. I think she catches him off guard because she approaches him. And isn't it, what's her face? The Bond girl. Yeah, Manure, she was a Bond girl, Man- yeah. Kathleen Man- Manu- Manure. Man- Monroe, Manure. I- I'm sorry. But, uh, we'll put that in there. <laughs> yeah. She might be in The Spy or Love Me. I forget what Bond movie she's in. Uh, she, you know, but she was the producer's wife at the time. So but, he's like, uh, cast her in it. They they end up having, like, I don't know if it's, you would say it was a romance, but it's a friendship. Yeah, that's um, that very it, you flirtatious. Know, it's, and, but it uh, also keeps him from going off the deep end quicker because he's kind of going crazy yeah. she approaches him because she's taking his picture he's like why are you taking him a picture you know but he's like you know it, it, this aspect is like you i think this character was supposed this aspect of his character this relationship i think for spinel was like the research was like this was the ted bundy oh son like he's a he's a normal dude you never suspect him he's but, charming but unlike he's ted... charming to her he's not like weird so do you her. think in the in the mentality of frank zito is it like ted bundy where ted bundy was playing that role to get what he wanted i, I wonder is he just trying to be a normal person at this point and you're right he's he's dressing up in really tacky stuff which i don't know if it was on purpose or it's dated 
nobody's coming in like with you know crazy outfits <laughs> you know what I mean and, and, it's like plaid yeah and like, he's trying to like hey he's got those, those awesome big glasses that are like you know like real like yeah I don't know I mean, it's a good question I mean I you feel know? like yes maybe he's it's him attempting to be normal but obviously he can't be he ends up killing one of the models that she's yeah. photographed and, he, and that's interesting too because he does that on purpose he purposely steals something on set while yeah. she's taking pictures and it's it's not it's like definitely premeditated it yeah. wasn't like impulse took him and he went he yeah. I had to follow her. And that's another freaky sequence when he kills her in her in her apartment because he, he comes in and remember he clicks the doorknob that so yeah, the door yeah. lo- won't lock or whatever when he's talking to her. That's freaky as all hell. Another that's like an Albert the, the Salvo Boston yeah, yeah. Strangler kind of a, a deal. Um But uh before we get any too f- any farther, right after they kill he kills Savini, um, I think you'll agree, in my personal opinion, it's one of the best monologues of all time. Yeah. He gives a monologue because he's watching the news reports of them finding the bodies outside of um, under the Verrazano Bridge, and he just starts. He does his mon- He turns the TV off and he starts talking to himself. Yeah. But then, as they, it's done in one take, and as they dolly around the bed slowly, maybe they're on a dolly track. He makes even eye contact with the camera for a moment. It's yeah, very, yeah. you know, and it's him trying to sort his life out. You know, I mean, we, me, and you both can like quote it verbatim but we're not going to hear it <laughs> but it's like you know he's talking about like you have fancy to stop women yeah, fancy, fancy dresses, dresses. it's yeah. basically like the like it's like Robert Mitchum and Night of the Hunter where it's like you know the he, temptation that it's the harlot they're making me do this it's part him that the it's lust. part of him talking to his mother yeah um, you have to stop or they'll take you away from me and then he then he's then see that's what talking to himself is that what you're saying no what's really scary and, and makes I think the 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 um the monologue work in the scene work is that he starts talking about you know fancy dresses blah 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 and then he flips the the blankets back because he's laying on bed yeah. and he's got a mannequin in there that's all you know has coagulated blood on it it has you know it's it's one of the man with the scalp and then the soundtrack comes in yeah, yeah. and then he continues the monologue and then near the end of it he, he starts he says he looks over you know, or they'll take you away from me. And, he's, and then he looks at the mannequin, but they'll never take you away from me. And then he handcuffs himself to the mannequin. Goes, "You're mine now," and I'm so happy. And then he starts crying, yeah. and it's it's makes you so uncomfortable that I think an immature person will laugh. It's yeah, silly, yeah. and I think we, you, you and I, maybe even the first viewing, were like, "My gosh, this is silly." But then it takes a whole different connotation on as you watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, this guy's like having a psychosis. You know. Yeah, I mean. I find this movie to be incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, yes. Dated. Low budgetness. Sometimes maybe works against it. Um, one of the things I absolutely love about this movie, and you just kind of mentioned it, is the music. Yeah. Jay Chataway, this is his first score. Before this, Jay Chataway worked in, um, he's from Pittsburgh. Uh, at the time he was working like in the record industry. He had worked with, uh, Musicians and helping them arrange stuff. Um, as a Rocky connection, there's a, there's a famous, there's a very popular uh, version of Gonna Fly Now by, I believe, Maynard Ferguson, maybe in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, Spinell was the one that, I mean, <laughs> Jay Chataway is the one that uh, is arranged that. And so at this point, 1979, 1978, 1979, he's working at, um, record company in more of a business uh, fashion, not in a creative fashion, handling um, talent, handling the artists. And he meets this young guy named Bill Lustig. And Bill Lustig says to him, hey, you know, I'm writing, I'm doing this movie. Um, Do you know if any of your artists would be available or be interested in doing the music for it? And he's like, oh, well, tell me about it. And Jay Chadway's like, how about I do it? I'll do it. And um, what I love about Jay Chataway's music, and I've always kind of said this about his music, because he, he did this, he did um, Silver Bullet. No, I love Silver Bullet. He also did uh, the Maniac Cop movies. Yeah, which is um, also lusty. And then his big claim to fame, really, was he was one of the main guys that did the Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, all that, you know, um, Star Trek music. It's like it's full of heart. Like yeah. Jay Chataway is all heart. Um, the like the recorder flute themes. Oh, it's like, it, but that, that, yeah, it's almost like the innocence of his 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 child character inside. Yeah, his it just it adds yeah. like this sweetness um, that one 
acts, you know, is juxtaposition, you know, opposite of what's going on. But at the same time, helps give Frank Zito's, uh, uh, like, a humanity and a softness. It's a really beautiful score. Well, yeah, it, you, you kind of almost see the torment he's going through, especially when he's getting deeper into his psychosis and he's talking to himself about, like, you know, what his mother would do to him. And, yeah, you know, and of course, it has, the, like, the stereotypical drones and, you know, hits for certain suspense uh, moments. But it's, it's melody... Uh, of the main themes, and there's a beautiful uh, theme, which is it's basically the same theme, but a different version of it. For it's called on the soundtrack, it's called uh, window shopping. Yeah, and it's what you're referring to as earlier when Spinell's kind of walking through the city and like looking at the mannequins Late at night. Through, through the windows and stuff. Um, music is just it's just beautiful. Um, other things about the movie, I would say. Um, Oh, we have Jurgensen cameos at the end with his actual real-life partner of how many years? Because at the end, when Joe Spinell has his ultimate demise, yeah, for yeah. some reason, they're called to the apartment, and that's Spinell with the sweet-ass mustache. <laughs> uh, he, and he's had that all his life, and, uh, and, and except when he did Donnie Brasco, uh. because uh, they wanted him to shave it. So he's got a picture of... He was a consultant and an actor in Donnie Brasco, so um, there's a picture of him on his... I've been to his house to interview him, and he's got a picture on a wall of him and Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp's like signed it like thanks for letting me borrow your mustache <laughs> and Donnie Brasco but he comes in with the partner and his partner's the shorter guy yeah, and yeah. once he, uh, uh, to a smaller extent once you see Frank, Randy Jurgensen, you'll know him because uh, I had a connection because I met him through a friend of mine and uh, he's like do you know this guy he wrote this big book which I highly recommend Circle of Six if, you, if you're into any kind of police real life police uh, thrillers this really happened in New York City and um, I go, no, I, I never heard of the book. He's like, well, he's an actor. Do you know him? And then it took me and my friend watching the Spinell documentary where there's a picture of him in the documentary of them together yeah, uh, yeah. hugging. And he goes, oh, that's the that's the uh, Randy Jerkins. And I go, oh, crap, I know him. I've seen him in yeah, a dozen yeah, movies. He's in, he's in Sorcerer, he's in Cruising. I was like, oh, crap, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and he's in um, French Connection. I was like, oh, that's 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 Jurgensen. So, yeah, he's in there at the ending. It's very funny. Um, um, the ending, powerful um, you know, it's. I think it's best. See, not explained. The ending know? I love, but for me, kind of the third act kind of falls apart a little bit. Yeah, the, yeah. You know, the, the it becomes. Uh, they don't. It's, it's a, I feel like they didn't know what to do. Yeah. They get to the cemetery, and because he's like, it's very important. I want you to come visit my mother. She, so the uh, the Kath, Kathleen Moreau, who I keep terribly butchering her name, yeah, yeah. is like, okay, I'll go with you. And she's got a weird accent in it. Yeah. And um, he, the madness overpowers him. And he tries to go after her. She's able to get away. And then by this point, it's, he goes back to the apartment for his ultimate demise, yeah. which is he goes and it's it's, it's he goes insane in the. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, love love this movie. We kind of discovered this. Uh, I'd say around eight ninety seven ninety eight in college. Um, this was an Anchor Bay release. God bless Anchor Bay. We've talked about Anchor Bay. When we see that can. sailboat, <laughs> the logo, we go, God bless Anchor Bay. A um, couple of things I, and we need to mention. I, uh, I know we're on a limited schedule today, a limited time, but a couple of things. Even the, uh, even the VHS had uh, special features. And there was like tons of like maniac. No one said to admit it. Oh, yeah. It's all the radio <laughs> spots. We love that. Radio they? spots, commercials. And there was footage for. A potential sequel called Maniac 2, uh, Mr. Robbie. Mr. Robbie, yeah. Now, I always wanted to talk to you about this because we watched the footage and you just seemed afterwards, you seemed not yourself after we watched that footage. You're, you're quiet. <laughs> See, I don't <laughs> remember this. You've, you've told me this before and I don't remember having, it just seems so weird to me because... The footage, which I guess it was the equivalent of nowadays, they shoot a reel. Yeah, The yeah. footage, and they were trying to then maybe hock it around to try to uh, make it into a feature film. And uh, really had nothing to do with Maniac. It no, was like he was the host of, of a, a of a childhood a child, a child TV show. TV show. Where he, he puts clown. He puts clown makeup on, <laughs> and he would get letters from kids that were being abused, and then he would go and like kill. I guess the parents. He, the implication must be that he's getting so many of these fan letters, and they're opening up to him as because he he's in this position of being like a local or whatever he was. Yeah, yeah. TV children's show host, very much. A sick turn that would have happened if in our previous cast that were in a safe Christmas. Imagine, 
Imagine that guy taking this toll. That could have been your Mr. You know, he's looking to become Santa, but yeah, yeah. he's really killing everybody on the side. They didn't see that. But I guess he just can't take it anymore. So he goes and he kills it. It's really weird, too, because it's really on the cheat. Because one, the, uh, the voiceover is clearly on a child. Yeah, yeah. Dear Mr. Roberts. Dear Mr. Robbie, my father beat me. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he goes in to kill the guy in the I wonder back. if it's his voice. Oh, very well. It could be. That's interesting. Um, and then he goes into the back of that restaurant to kill whoever. Like, like the kid's dad or something. Yeah, but it, the, like puts but him in the boiling water. Yeah, and it's, the... and it's clearly an eighteen-year-old. He's killing, yeah. and then like, yeah, he's uh, the boiling water, and it's a really horrible effects job. He just has some like oatmeal yeah, yeah. on his face afterward. Um, and the other thing we need to talk about, if, uh, if 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 you don't have any thoughts as to why that disturbed you, I don't know why it disturbed me. Maybe just because of just the the aspect that they were that maybe at the time I thought. Um, they were trying to make it like that. Because at the end of the movie, it's a little ambiguous. Is yeah. he dead? Is he alive? Because he opens his eyes. He gets his head ripped off or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, is this supposed to be him now? He's a child host. Maybe that's why I was like, <laughs> I was like oh my God. He, he healed up and he became a child host. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was able to turn his life around and uh, make a, make it big on public access, you know, in the New York area. Which was very fruitful at the time. Of, true, you know, true. Sesame Street. Robin Bird. And, yeah. And, um, uh, but the other thing is we have to, we have to at least mention is that this was remade. Yeah, and that is a big mention. Uh, before we get to that, I, w- w- I guess, well, one last thing about, I think, a big thing, which is um, a little um, anecdote people don't realize, is that the uh, artist, Michael Cimbalo, who's the guitar, who was a guitarist and singer, who was, during the 70s, he was uh, Stevie Wonder's guitarist for, um, when Stevie Wonder started using guitarists by around, around the songs, The Key of Life, and touring with Wonderlove, he went on to have a solo career, and he wrote Maniac. She's a yeah. maniac, yeah, yeah. maniac, and he also does um, what, uh, Monster Squad. Was it Monster Squad, Rock Until You Drop, or whatever? Oh, that? was that the same guy? Yeah, that's, that's Michael Cimbalo. Yeah. Um, but he wrote Maniac after seeing this movie in the theater uh, some late night. Yeah. And he that was the inspiration, so he wrote Maniac, but he wrote it as a horror uh, yeah, movie. Yeah, it was and, about a serial killer. And, and the, if, if I do my best Michael Cimbalo impression, <laughs> the original lyrics were... You kill your cat and nail it him to the door. <laughs> and then they ended up having to change the lyrics to tell the story of a small town girl dancing. She's never danced before yeah. in Flashdance, which it became the national anthem in 83. And then that awesome video of like Cymbala like as I dance. But that was all because of uh, Spinell and Lustig's yeah, Mania. That was influenced by that. And also, um, you know, one more thing before we talk, we mentioned the the remake is like this movie, um, the poster is kind of iconic. Yeah, it's like a drawn picture, uh, guy's lower half yeah. holding a, like a scalp and a knife. Yeah, he's and in it looks tight... like he has an erection. <laughs> yeah, he's he has tight jeans. He's in he's in uh, construction boots, and uh, he's wearing gloves. He's wearing that again that that uh, army kind of coat so yeah. he looks like he's out trolling probably I mean, you basically see him from like the belly down yeah so he's, and like, he's, he looks like a coat. fit guy and in between his legs are kind of spread because he's standing there and then below his legs is this huge butcher knife that's bloody I think yeah. in one gloved hand and in the other hand it's a woman's scalp yeah and that's the and this was the poster. poster like this was like and I think his was maniac a... is written across the knife blade maybe no I think it's right ac- it might be right across yeah the picture um, like in a very jagged, you know, font. But this was the poster uproar. Like, what we're, the we're, fudge? We're talking like protests. This was like, you know, this was a big thing. This, like, yeah. People, well, I mean, it, it, this became almost the the, the, the uh, uh, contention for a lot of people. Where yeah. It wasn't released again in other countries. Yeah, yeah. You know, people hadn't seen it. People had seen really dumbed down versions of it because maybe it was cut severely if it was got a release and it never got rated so um, it wasn't it, like it was rated X or anything but did it ever it, get a proper release in the states I got I think it got released but they wouldn't uh, they never actually got it rated so um, so it was just like unrated so that yeah. meant so that meant like no one under 17 could go anyway so it was kind of like having an X without having an X um, so big uproar, uh, you know, this movie made a huge impact when it came out in terms of that, like p- religious groups, women groups. Well, it's very misogynistic, <laughs> one can argue. Pro- you know? Protesting it. And, uh, which brings us to the last thing I think we should talk about is that it was remade with, uh, kind of like the antithesis of Joe Spinell as the star. Yeah. It's weird. I, um, 
one of the first posts I did on Podwoods.com was the the story that they were going to remake him with uh, what's his Elijah face? Wood. Elijah Wood. And I was like, this you can't do this. This is stupid. You know, how yeah. are you going to put a pretty boy in there? And uh, they were going to change him that he owns a, a vintage mannequin, mannequin shop. He like restores mannequins. Yeah, yeah, which is like, who does that? <laughs> you know, um, and so it was a reason of why he would have mannequins. Yeah, around. exactly. The justification for for the further plot. So uh, I was very by Alexander it. Aha, who has done uh, Raja, who has done High Tension. He directed. He directed the. Re- uh, the remake of Hills Have Eyes. They took it out of 3D. Uh, I keep saying uh, Kathleen. It's Caroline. Uh-huh. Caroline um, Murno. Muro. Muro. So I'm, I keep saying Kathleen. Uh, uh, it's Caroline. So, uh, Catherine. Uh, so, yeah. And they took it out of New York. It's it's shot like up in Canada or someplace yeah. or L.A. Yeah. It's so not it doesn't have that New York feel anymore. But upon me, you saw it much earlier. You saw it like at a screen, I right? saw it at the American premiere. It had just premiered a can. Yeah. And then the next screening of it was here in New York, and I went to it. Um, and I went, you know, hesitant. Of course. You know, because I love the original. And, and it was also a gimmick movie in that it's all through the eyes of the maniac. Yeah. It's all, it's almost all POV. Did you know that going into it? I think I had heard that, yeah. Okay. Um, and that's a ballsy kind of... Um... Decision to make. And I don't particularly like kind of gimmicks like that. Um, but I will say, like, given that I was more apt to really be hard on it than probably most people. Yeah. Uh, I like it. Yeah. I, mean, I enjoy it. I think it's a pretty good remake. I mean, it's... Do you need to... Does it need to be called Maniac? I mean, does it really need to be a, a remake? Probably not. But there's a lot of nice nods to yeah, the original. Yeah, see, that's... that's the, it, it, it it's good in the sense that it actually you can tell source the original much yeah. like I guess you'd take maybe like with a Friday the Thirteenth or a Jason Voorhees yeah they source enough of the original where it kind of follows the skeleton yeah. of the plot line of it's the original it's a lot of movie. the same plot points yeah but it's not like I've already seen this why do I need to watch yeah. it again? and like you said the, the having that gimmick of first person I thought would have been horrible and yeah. it actually works fairly well for me it's quite disturbing in some moments and there's some moments they're able to justify getting out of the first person, so it's not a hundred percent first person. There's yeah, a couple yeah. scenes where he has like a near like an after out of body experience because yeah, he's yeah. in such euphoria of killing somebody. Or there's well, they were use trying to mirrors. figure out how can we show him because which I think is a very interesting thing. They found that it would be hard to empathize with him if you never actually saw him. Yeah. Um, so there's some mirror stuff, and then in researching it, they discovered that some killers. Some serial killers would describe that when they killed somebody, it was like out of body. Like it was felt like they would be watching themselves do it. Yeah, it's basically they're having an orgasm, basically to that. Yeah, yeah. it. it uh, and I thought Elijah Wood was so good. I mean, I've liked him. It, for me, it had a lot of shades of his silent role role in um, Sin City. Yeah, yeah. Where he plays well, that. He's, kid. He can. He's got this thing that's a little bit of like a man child thing. Yeah. Where he's not. He's 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 a good looking guy, but. There's something. He has the face of a kid still. But he's there's something that could be played up to be that he's there's something a little off, and so the fact that they played that up it's really kind of worked yeah. well. And and then it it also follows the point of him his romantic lead as a photographer because remember she's taking pictures of yeah, mannequins yeah. or something. She's an artist. Yeah. And uh, you know his slow uh, de evolution into to, to to just being a nut. Uh, yeah. Great soundtrack by Rob, right? Yes, R O B B. Yeah, um, it's a very, uh, it's a very like Tangerine esque. Yeah, very. I felt like for me, the moment, the opening scene is like him trolling the streets in his van. Yeah, POV with that score. Yeah, it's very like eighties Michael Mann. It's very feeling. Michael Mann. It's very like. Um... And the, it was that that moment. As soon as that, well, there's. And then there's like he kills a girl, and then the yeah comes up on screen like huge. But there was like all that of him like following the girl with that music, driving around. It was like at that moment I was like, you know what? This is gonna be good. Like I'm ready for this. You know, like I'm gonna give this movie a chance. You know, which is very much like that at the same time, or maybe a year before was Drive. Yeah, with Ryan Gosling, amazing soundtrack. I really enjoyed that movie. But at the beginning, that kind of how it sets up. It has that kind of similar soundtrack. 
Uh, I also feel that that Tron Legacy. Yeah, has... I was gonna say. I was just gonna bring up like it, it's a Daft Punk esque. Yeah, yeah. It's like basically a nod to like you said, '80s Michael Mann to like Tangerine Dream, that which did the soundtrack for Sorcerer, freaking Sorcerer, another great movie that hopefully we'll get to one day on the cast. Um, it has that, so it keeps the spirit of that era yeah. of '80s. Whereas, like it, it, it keeps the music keeps the spirit yeah. of that, but it's a totally different. It's completely story. modern, but I feel like it has that heart. Yeah, to a certain extent that the original has. Yeah, much like so it does like, play up. It is a very good background, uh, you know, textures for like this character that we're supposed to empathize with. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful score. I like that score a lot. It, it seems to succeed in the things it's setting out to do. Unlike, say, arguably, I guess you could say, like Ty West, or he does in the Innkeepers, yeah, or yeah. in House by the Devil, where his heart's there, but it's yeah, yeah. I like Ty West, but it does, uh, you know, I do too. I mean, his VHS, he did a short one yeah. in VHS two, maybe great, you yeah, know. Yeah. And then I, I love um, House House by the Devil, House House House, house, of, the house of the Devil, devil yeah. with our old man, Mister Noonan, and the, you know, um, Innkeepers is pretty good, has a fantastic ending, but it's yeah. just a movie that feels a lot like that, and the music is also. Um, it follows, which is uh, kind okay, of, yeah. at the point yeah. of recurring. This is a pretty recent horror movie. The score to that is kind of similar. It's kind of cool to see that this like '80s synth, which is like the best way to describe it, but um, this like synthesizer. It's more of like a vibe and a tone. It's kind, it's kind of making a comeback. Um, well, it sets. It's weird. Like that's that's how much very much like the Manhunter, Michael Mann. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it sets. Like you're saying, it sets a tone, and you're like, okay, and it just and it makes everything relax. And I think because we grew up at that time, you know, you know there's there's, a, there's like a comfortable. I mean, you see comfortability, almost, yeah, like a nostalgic warmth. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like it, that it, kind it's of weird. Movie you for put us. that on, and you have it reminds me like of scenes of both Man's Miami Vice, the theatrical yeah, movie, yeah. and in Heat. Of you just put you put that kind of a score on, you get in the car, you drive around LA at night with the yeah, windows yeah. open, and you, you can, I can watch that for hours. Uh, he was just that. he was just on, and I was like, it, like it, it's a he's a real auteur. Like you could, if I had never seen that movie, and you put that movie on for me with what the music was and the way it was shot with like LA in the background, and you were like, who directed this? I'd be like, Michael Mann directed this. Yeah, like yeah. absolutely. Like, and it, he's another tell. interesting movie where it's like North by Northwest for me, where I saw it. North by Northwest more. I saw it too young to understand it, and I didn't like it. And then when I went back, it was a masterpiece. But Heat grew on me. I yeah. used to always think Heat was long-winded when I first yeah, saw yeah. it in the theater. And then that grew on me. And it's like, I don't know how. Much like... that. See, that's his, that's his trope. Yeah. We, were, we were talking about this off, off, off mic about directors having a theme where his is always that. He, he explores his theme in Heat and yeah. uh, Miami Vice in freaking um, Public Enemies. But like you know, where those suffer the latter, I think Heat is perfect. That's yeah, his love yeah. letter. He figured it out. Collateral is good too, but in that sense of searching. But that soundtrack. So I think the new one is very good. The new Maniac. It's definitely worth a so watch. Shockingly good. Yeah. In terms of like, it so could have gone, yeah. taken a wrong turn. I mean, yeah. it could have been off. But it's hard as there, and it's and it and it's it's honest with the brutality. There's, it's it's quite as brutal equivalent to the brutality of the 1980 version because yeah. there was a lot of disturbing things going on to on in it you know like you said similar enough that it's like it's a good remake and that it's like not just rehashing the same thing but hitting all the plot points telling the story the, and telling the new story telling the old story in a very new way yeah um and uh which was kind of it was you know kind of refreshing yeah, to be uh-huh. honest with you, because like I said, I was not expecting it to be good. You were outraged by the, I was like, by the notion of it. You're like, why, why? Because you look at the track and I record, totally understand it. Yeah, track record that. Hollywood has. You know, they 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 did my baby some but, years ago, uh, Friday Thirteenth, and that was horrible. You know, Aja or whatever Alexander Aha or Aja. I mean, he he produced it, but um, he's a smart guy. His movies are good, um, so. I guess it's not too shocking that he would have done. I mean, like I think The Hills Have Eyes is one of the better remakes of yeah. horror movies, and he did that. Um, the original, the original remake. Yeah, the, uh, and um, I think Mirrors is interesting. And, yeah, Mirrors is good. And uh, and Piranha 3D. 
Uh, I loved it. It's fun. I mean, it's just again you embraced using it. porn stars because I think what's her face, Jana Michaels. Is yeah, Jana Michaels is. Oh, bless her. Um, yeah, but uh, so a Maniac, others. great, great movie. Uh, how many? Uh, great remake. Great, great movie. Great good remake. remake. Yeah. What? What? How many Mega Jolt Colas? Again, I mean, this is going to be. Yeah. It's going to be a fiver. For yeah, me, me too. Five. This movie was uh, five. I mean, well, maybe four point five because. Only because near the end, they yeah. kind of there's there's a good. I just have to think of, about for me, it's like the impact that it kind of made yeah. on me. It changed a lot of things. I mean, I even wrote like a paper about it in college. In college, yeah. like it no, really, no, did you do college? No, I just wrote a paper about like it. Like it really made an impact on me. Yeah. Um, and for like for that reason, it's always been uh, near and dear to your heart. Yeah, it's always been this one of those movies. It came to me at the right time, and it. Um, and considering that it is of that very era, that era of slasher movies, and yeah. is something that's similar, but at the same time, completely, completely different. different. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's really like the burning, and then you have the prowler, and it's like, yeah, you know, like they, my bloody Valentine. Yeah, everything was coming, and those are all classics. Yeah, I, yeah. I love all those movies, but you're right because it, it's it's basically the gorilla style version of that in New York City the underground yeah. you know which is it's, like I said it's more of a drama yeah. like a thriller drama um, great movie set within you know the great and then also the biggest character set piece New York City it's just it really captures love, love I mean the yeah. dirtiness of like you said when New York City was New York City like the bad old yeah. days you know it's very much a, a product of its time and it's great It's and, and I think I personally think Spinell succeeded I think it is his Rocky and this yeah. is getting back to our to conclude our paper. <laughs> in conclusion, I think he he succeeded on what he wanted to do. I mean, it suffered only because of oh, the he's really of the budget. good in it. Yeah, and it's not the kind of part that he got to play. No, no. Um, in other movies, as no. well as I mean, as much as he was great in all the other movies he did, he was always a, he was always a he he was always you know he was always sidelined as a as a supporting role, the friend, the heavy. Yeah. So he never got the like you're saying the opportunity to uh, to actually be a leading man even if this is not the leading man that you that you want to be yeah yeah this was his movie and I think it was his Rocky it was his you know and it's a shame that it never got any and see that's the thing if I ever met Spielberg I'd be like so what was it like hanging out with just now <laughs> you know and I've talked to, I met um, what's his face um, uh, freaking William freaking I met him because he screened at BAM um, yes. uh, Sorcerer and I asked him because I know Jurgensen, so I told him Jurgensen wasn't going to be that night, and he was laughing about stories of Jurgensen. And I said, "What was it like knowing Spinell?" And he's like, "Oh, Spinell was such a great guy because Spinell, like we said, is in Sorcerer." Yeah. And he says that movie he made, Maniac. He's like, "Amazing." He's like, "Classic." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, it was really good." He's like, "It's like unbelievable." He said, "It still holds up." I was like, "You're right, Mister Freakin." Let me take a <laughs> Mr. picture. Mister Freakin, you. you're right. <laughs> you're yeah, right, Mister. Yeah, Mister Freakin. <laughs> my daddy, Mister Freakin. My daddy I love abuses Maniac. <laughs> yeah. I love it so. I know it's not your movie, but I love it. So yes, uh, five out of five. It's great, great movie. Um, anything else? God bless Joe. Jo I mean, look, I could talk about this movie forever. But, I know I could do. Uh, it's we great. Need to, we need to put. It, we need to stop at some point. Yeah. So, so, so God bless. Go check out Maniac if you haven't seen it. If we haven't ruined it for you. Plenty of different Blu-rays and DVDs editions. Yeah. It's also the soundtrack has been re-released like seven times over the last like ten years or something. Um, including by Mondo and Death Waltz, and the new soundtrack is Death Waltz has a version of it out. So Mondo uh, has a pretty sweet uh, cover they did for it for Alamo Draft House and Maniac, yeah. and I'm almost tempted to put that up for that. It can't because we like using the originals, but maybe I'll, I'll add that in. Just that would be a great shirt. That's the back of the box. That Mondo <laughs> cover, you know, Joe Spinell Maniac. So thank you very much. Uh, please uh, check us out we're on Facebook we're on iTunes we're on Twitter uh, leave us a message retweet us tell friends about us uh, email us comment um, we're also uh, all over the place we're on podwits.com uh, we do the sidecast as well Blake and I where we talk about everything under the sun uh, we're at saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com where you find this Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers and uh, Blake tell them where you are uh, check out some of my blues music at jblakeblues.com yeah, and uh, we, we're uh, in the yellow pages as uh, we'll do parties. <laughs> so um, thank you very much for listening. Come back again another two weeks. Uh, we'll be staying late, late, late. And uh, hopefully my wife won't get jealous of all the time I'm spending with Jay Blake. So until next time, later. Later.